Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of In The Saddle podcast with me your host Chris Loder and I'm joined this week by Marcus Horowski and we're going to be talking about some of the racing um, cliches and myths in the sport. We'll be talking about uh, race fixing, we'll be talking about welfare and giving our thoughts and feelings on that. We were meant to be joined by Megan O'Brien but unfortunately when we were meant to record this on Wednesday night uh, we had some technical difficulties and unfortunately we couldn't go ahead with the recording. Um, and she's actually having a good time tonight. I saw on Twitter with a friend um, going to some bars or something. So, um, so yeah, we won't be um, we won't be uh, having her on the show this week. But I'm with Marcus, and uh, like I said, we'll be uh, going through uh, through those issues and also as well previewing the Dublin Racing Festival. But without further ado, let me introduce Marcus. Marcus, how are you doing? I'm good, Chris. Um, had a busy day in the office this afternoon, but. Sort of glad for the weekend to start. Plus, they've got the, the racing in Ireland. It's got a cracking cars in Ireland. Uh, might give us a few pointers to Cheltenham as well. But I mean, there is some quality stuff on this weekend. Um, how are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it's been quite a busy week for me. Uh, recovering from the Cheltenham trials uh, weekend last week. And yeah, just looking forward to um, the, yeah, the racing at the weekend. And got quite a lot of things going on as well next week. Going to George Baker's yard. I'm having an interview as well with uh, Simon Knott from Star Sports um, uh, uh, Bookmakers and doing an interview with him. So looking forward to that. And yeah, got quite a few informative. Yeah, got quite a few things going on. So um, yeah, but I'm looking looking forward to recording this podcast. And we're going to be talking about, um, obviously, some of the racing myths. And I think we both wanted to start on the welfare of horses. And there's some, some idea out there, isn't there, that away away from like the racing industry if we were talking about the general public that the horses aren't maybe that well looked after and some people especially that i've talked to think it's cruel to run horses and horse racing what what, what do you think um the kind of messages out there do you think it's quite a a mixed message out there i think it's just about being informed i think people who aren't informed these have this perception that horse racing is cruel um I think there's a lot of a lot of people look at the whip as sort of a sort of the main thing for cruelty, where in reality um, it's there it's there to straighten up a horse. And we see a lot of jockeys now, and of course, they're sort of like a the hospitality, for example. I know a lot of the, a lot of jump jockeys will actually let sort of the VIPs at the course, people who are maybe first time at racing as well, actually have a look at the whip as well. And, Maybe people have this perception that it's this sort of like cane, like the old days in school where you were naughty, you get the cane. And But it's actually, it's like foam, it's compressed foam. And it, it, I've, I've, I've had a shot of it a few times and you can hardly feel it. Um, and you've got to think as well, if a horse doesn't want to run, it won't run. And some of these horses are actually better looked after and, and better care than some humans as well. I mean, if you look at the way that Sheep Mohammed and the dolphin, they look after their horses, being extremely well looked after. Um, so I know we're going to go on to animal aid um, and they're sort of like an extreme case but it's just sort of these crazy deranged people who probably haven't even been to a yard um, but it's just they've got these crazy crazy extreme views on animal cruelty but these horses are very very well looked after and you often find stable lads stable lassies they, they, have, they have a real bond and a real connection with their horses and you, you, unfortunately, and this is probably related to what you often see it mostly on social media when, say, a horse 
has to get put down or breaks a leg, you actually see the sort of connection there that is there. Um, they're very, very well looked after. I think it's just a case of the general public being informed about what's actually going on and it'd be a bit of an eye-opener for them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there's there, there there is like a misconception. I think yeah. I think I think racing needs to educate people a lot more. I think when people go racing as well, obviously um you 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 obviously get some racing fans there that go, but you get probably I would say 70 80% of the people that go racing um especially in the summer a lot of them just don't have a clue about it and they're just, just there for the yeah. drink have a good time in the social and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that but i just think the race course could do a lot more to hi highlight these kind of things i know they they do try um that some race courses obviously i've seen before i can't remember which race course it was now but like they they have like a welfare day where like um uh, the visitors to the races can go down and see see the horses and that and get up close with them and, and pat them and give them some treats and stuff like that um but yeah i i just think if some of these yards were a little bit open more i know lambourne has one on uh, yeah. good friday on good friday normally um and they have loads of yards and you can go and like visit Nicky henderson's yard and see like altior and that but i think if you if you were to go there I, I've been I've been to I've been quite fortunate to go to a few yards and you can see if you go there early in the morning when they take them out on the gallops and that that they're so well looked after um, and and another thing as well that I, I think it was Paul Nichols might have said in an interview I saw about a year ago he's more worried when a horse goes away uh, for the summer um, than when he's got it in his own hands and it goes racing because probably a lot of people don't realize outside of um the racing world that horses they're, they're mental creatures um they they yeah, love... I can relate to that completely yeah, cause remember that that story i mean with lucinda russell had that that nice horse to cindy breeze and it got loose on its summer holidays from the paddock and unfortunately died um and that's something out with with the trainer's control, I mean, some of these horses, each horse has its own personality, and some of them can be a bit crazy, you know. Yeah, they they like go and kick. They they like kick each other in the fields and that, like when they're backing and stuff, and they can fracture their legs and and things. And and but when they're at the yard, the trainer doesn't normally worry because they know that they're being well looked after. They're being fed regularly. They're being monitored as well um, for their conditions and that they, for example, like last year we had all that f uh, flu um, crisis. It was about this time last year, wasn't it? That yeah. we had like all the flu in that, and the horses came first. They they um, stopped the racing so that they could um, they could contain it, and racing did a good yep, job. Smart. They did a good job on that, getting it contained. And luckily, we didn't really have too much of an outbreak, but the horse's welfare came first. Um, we probably use some of those guys, like, the same sort of methods right now in real life what's going on in China. It's absolutely crazy. Um, just just going on to obviously the point earlier, I was making, I think that a lot of these sort of say, extremists that want racing banned completely, I think it's a case of if you give them an inch, you know, there's a famous Ted Walsh interview, when the, obviously when they were really pushing for their the ban on the whip um he was just saying like 
if you give them an inch, they, I mean, it'll take a mile. If you, the, the whip goes, then I mean, these people want to ban racing completely. If you give them an inch, they'll try and push. Yeah. Um, so often, it's often around the Grand National. That's when a lot of negative publicity mm. comes out. And I don't, I mean, in my opinion, in, in watching racing, betting racing for 10 years, I don't think it's ever been safer. And if you look at the way the Grand National is now compared to, say, when Mom Mom won for for Venetia Williams, I mean, these things are smaller now. It's basically just a four-mile handicap. It's not, it's no. not the same race it used to be. I, I think I think we haven't had a fatality. D- don't quote me on this, but we haven't had one for a few years. There was one last year, but it wasn't through the, the fault of um, like a horse jumping a fence. I think uh, there was a loose horse that got in the way. And was that synchronised? Um, no, no, a few years ago, it was a similar story, wasn't it? The second fence. Yeah. But ever since, yeah. the, I think that that was quite a bad year for horse fatalities, if I remember. But then since then, it's got a lot better. Um, yeah. And like a lot I, of investment after that. I know they created, I think they created a new committee, put 1.5 million into it um, to improve it massively. And they have. Um, and even, how do we look at the BHA stats earlier? I mean, all 14,000 horses in training. There's a fatality rate of less than one percent. I mean, mm. on overall runners, and the exact number is zero zero point two. Yeah, that's right. Percent. Yeah, it's crazy. But these are good numbers, um, but it's it's massively blown out of proportion, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but again, it goes back to both our points as well. I think it's just a case of informing people. I don't think people are ignorant to it. I just don't think they have all the information, and I think that. If they were to say, go to Lambo, go to Nicky Henderson Yard, Paul Nichols Jr., and we see how well these horses are looked after, I'm pretty sure their opinion would change. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. But I, I think, again, it's it's another problem that we'll probably talk about and on another podcast, that's something I'm quite keen to talk about, is the yeah. the, the coverage of racing in the mainstream uh, media. like. Apart from ITV, who I do think do a good job with the coverage, they've done really well. Um, I enjoy watching their coverage um, over the weekend. Normally, um, I think I think they've done a good job. But you you don't sit down and you watch like the BBC News. It, apart from um, the Grand National, you don't hear anything. I mean, I I've, I've done some work at BBC local radio level, and I won't say who I contacted, but um, we had a we had an incident. Um, on our local regional news, uh, where uh, it was uh, Champers on Ice won at Newbury uh, on the first day of the Labrooks Winter Carnival, and he won the last race, which was a good handicap, but not the best race of the day. And the sports reporter said live on air um, that Champers on Ice won the feature race of the day, but Paisley Park won the feature race of the day, which was a grade two uh, long distance uh, hurdle they have on the first day there. And if that's the opportunity racing's got to show itself to the mainstream media, they're telling the wrong, the wrong stories. And also as well, I think I heard it was on BBC. Um, seems like I'm picking on the BBC here, but BBC Radio Two, uh, they interviewed Holly Doyle uh, towards the end of last year when she broke the record for the most amount of wins by a female um, in a single calendar year in Britain. Yeah. And they said it's after Hayley Turner one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she broke the record yeah. of Hayley Turner. Uh, actually, I think it was Josephine Gordon that held the record, but Josie okay. beat her. But yeah, Holly Doyle got the most wins ever in a season. Um, okay. And the the presenter said, 
Um, are you going to be riding in the Grand National anytime soon? She's a flat it's jockey. Crazy, isn't it? And you know, and, yeah. and it's just a shame that no one seems to, when racing gets its chance to be on the main news and, and that, it, it's, it's the wrong stories getting told and it really frustrates me and you feel that racing's up against a brick wall sometimes and if they could just put these local snippets out, I mean, this is another dig at my local news um, channel. Again, we're not far from... We have Lambourne and that covered. Like, there's a good... There's a grade one tomorrow at um, at Sandown. And it's covered in our regional news. And yet, if if, our, if a trainer from a... Like, like, for example, Chris Gordon is one of my local trainer uh, trainers. And if he had, like, a runner in that race, that's like going to be like probably the biggest runner he's ever going to saddle in his career and it's top level sport but yet that won't even make the 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 local news it'll be like some like five-a-side football team they're more interested in than like yeah, top, it's frustrating top I, I can agree i can agree quality sport. so um i think if racing's going to challenge these issues like welfare um it's it, it needs to get they need it needs racing the good bits of racing need to be seen more in the media like you talk about uh you look at Bryony frost when she won on frodon at the cheltenham festival yeah. that was probably the best day racing's had in in the media for a long time it made Bryony, if i believe made the front page of um, the times newspaper when 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 else has that happened probably maybe except tiger roll um but apart from that yeah it's it, racing is against a battle and i know you work for for, for betfair um and another issue that we we're going to talk about if if i went to a lot of people in the street and said oh what do you think about racing a lot of them would probably think it's fixed and yeah um it's yeah. definitely that misconception yeah um, it's 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 not great um again i think it's just a case of people people being educated um i think where the flip side to it is whenever there's money involved, there is always people trying to get an edge. So there are things that go that go on, but from my, my perspective, I, I believe race, racing is clean. Um, you're going to get the odds, the odd owner or trainer trying to line something up for a handicap. Um, but, I mean, to me, someone who's cheating is say somebody who's using a ringer. The wind's lasting, someone used the ringer. Or jockeys laying laying horses on Betfair Exchange. It's very very difficult, and the people who do do it get caught very very quickly. And it's a very very small amount. Um, I, in the whole, I I I think racing is clean, um, and most of it's just use, using your brain. I mean, mm. just looking at say like a a novice hurdle hurdle race. I mean, if you've got something that's already it's maybe it's ran second first time out or it's probably looking like a 120, 130 horse. If you've got a horse, maybe maybe, maybe a lesser quality. Would it be in your interest to, to finish a length behind it or give a race? Probably not. You get a handicap mark, 115, a horse is probably never going to win a race. I can understand punter's frustration, but sometimes you just need to use your head. Mm. I mean, no, one, no one's making you making you put that bet on. Um, you obviously get the odd, the odd springer, something a smaller stable can land. A bumper at a big price or a novice hurdle. But I think novice hurdles are a good example of you know, just using your brain. Um, you often hear people in Benton Shop shouting, 
or that wasn't trying, that was a non-trier. Um, but on paper, the horse probably didn't have any chance anyway. Just people talking through the pockets, you know. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. It, it I, I think um, my brother-in-law said said to me once when I was getting into racing, he said racing's all fixed in it, and I had to explain to him, no, it's not. And and you and you're right there about t- targets and that. There there were most trainers will probably have a target for their horse if it's short term or long term. Like a novice hurdle is probably a, a novice so hurdle. The perfect example is on the flat. So Mark Bread's got yeah. he has a. A one mile four bred horse bumped in a couple of maidens and then first time stepped up in a handicap is off a mark between fifty fifty five is six to four favourite. I mean mm. if you want I mean that it could have a, could have two stolen in hand or the horse could be no good. I mean it's your choice if you want to bet it and he's not he's not pulling the the rule over anyone's eyes. Um people are aware and obviously the price is represented because people know know the situation, you know, it's, it's the way he trains. Yeah. The the type a good example, you know. The types of horse he buys, they're they're yeah. they're slow improvers. You get yep. you get horses that, especially on the flat, like Archie Watson, great with his two year olds, ready yeah. first time. Early early season two year olds, very very strong. Yeah, you know, and and he's when it comes to March April time, you'll probably want to keep an eye out for his runners. But the bookies will know that yeah. Archie Watson, that's what he does, and if there's no form in the book. You see an Archie Watson two-year-old, you're going to be thinking this horse is going to be maybe two, three to one shot. We open it up at, and then obviously, if it um, if it drifts, that means that you're getting vibes that obviously they don't fancy it. And if we have to shorten it as a bookmaker, we're getting strong vibes that it's got a very good chance of going close. Um, it, and and also as well, I, I I spent some time with Chris Gordon recent recently. I'm learning to try and become a race planner, a racing manager is one thing I'm looking at doing a little bit on the side if I can. Um, and I was sitting down with him and talking about like his horses, and he's got uh, he's got a few nice horses, and some of them have been given a handicap mark after running in a couple of novice events, and he's now at the choice where do i go for a handicap or do i go for a graded race and he he, i won't tell you the name of the horse that he told me but he's thinking of putting this particular horse in a handicap instead of a graded race because he thinks it's probably in the long term gonna he's gonna get get it to a better place by going through the handicap routes and you... Yeah, because if he if he runs in a graded race and finishes second or third, I mean he's not going to have the opportunity to run on a handicap again because he's going to be running off one fifty, isn't he? Yeah, well we spoke about like Maracuja last week, you know, like Dan Skelton is a master of um, handicap jobs. He's a very good. Horse. He's, he's a very good trainer. Very good at plot plotting um, handicaps. You look at races like the Coral Cup, the County Hurdle at the festival. You want to be looking for his uh, runners in those kind of races because he's got a very good record. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, he ran Maracuja. We spoke about it last week, you know, and that was probably a good bit of race planning in the fact that he, he got good prize money for finishing third, but as a result, the handicap is going to put him up. So trainers, maybe Dan Skelton was a bit naive there because, because of how close he finished. Um, do you think? Do you think the problem was? You think? I mean, it's, because Undo's so 
And if you look at the section on the sole, and visually Petit Bissot looked very, very impressive, but you know, if you look at the actual race time, Imbissot wasn't doing the same fraction as normal. No. And maybe Dan Skelling didn't think he'd be as close to Imbissot. I mean, it's great picking up picking up the prize money, but it's sort of the handicapper sort of forced his hand moving forward because he, he probably wouldn't be able to be competitive in handicaps now, so he's going to have to yeah, so he's going to have to more and try and win in gravy races. So, so what probably Dan Skelton will do with that, he'll probably think, right, maybe we, he might be in that place, or that horse is going to be between a rock and a hard place now because he's probably going to have to wait a year if he wanted to run him in handicaps to land a nice pot or run well in a good handicap. Or he's probably going to have to run him in graded races and just um, pick up place money in lower grade graded races. So... Yeah, I, I think put it past Dan Skelton to improving the horse even more because since he started training, you know, all, all he's done is improve, improve, improve horses, and I think he's a very, very good trainer. Mm. No, he he really is. But if we're going back back there to the, like the racing um, public, I think it or to the public outside of racing, it's gonna it, it that's gonna be that is gonna be always a hard issue to to. Um, to, to solve with them because obviously we know from working in the industry and we know the trends we know the form we know what trainers to follow maybe at a certain time of the year and what horses to avoid um yeah it's I think sometimes as well is that people so they have they have some people have an ignorance towards racing and there's sort of like a resistance to even learn it and sort of like a resistance sort of they don't want to take the time to understand it you just want to sort of brand it, it's fixed, uh, it's complicated, just move on with my life, you know. Um, like, going, going back to just sort of the way that racing sort of promoted as well, the Gambling Commission, in my opinion, I don't think they help racing in any way whatsoever. Because anything coming out of the Gambling Commission is negative. Mm. I mean, they forget about, I mean, a lot of gambling companies do... So a lot of things for charity. They obviously linked with Gamcare and they're pushing built a lot of these companies now have AI AI software that can sit out problem gamblers very, very quickly. Um there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and just I think I think betting companies as a whole, they're sort of like an easy win for companies because you know, betting companies they can't even really have a comeback it'll just get worse you know it's, it's an easy win for people to sort of attack a betting company um yeah i just think it's just there's so much negativity around racing um around betting as well and the problem is that they're, they're connected and i don't think that you you could have racing without bookmakers no it just wouldn't work and and that that's something as well that i've noticed a lot recently um I think I was watching Sky Sports Racing and they were at Doncaster last week and it was raining and the weather yeah. was terrible. There was only three on-course bookmakers. And actually two of them... Yeah, and actually, technically, it was two because there's three pitches and one of them was having two pitches. So that that's not good at all. And I, I, I don't really bet on... I haven't really bet that much on course in the last year and now, but... I'm getting into the journalism world of things. You can't bet on course. My Cheltenham Press Pass said I, uh, I'm not allowed to 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 bet on course. If uh, if I'm seen, I I would be banned. Um, 
Even Chris, like when we when we were at Ascot, when Diffy saw one in Magic of Light, I mean, there was probably there was there was more bookmakers. There's probably about twenty on course bookmakers, but even even ten minutes before the race, when we were sort of chatting, um, there wasn't a lot of people betting with cash. I mean, I'd probably say eighty percent. Maybe I'd probably say if you break it down, I'd probably say sixty sixty five percent were on their phones, twenty five percent were inside Ascot betting with Bet Ascot and I mean the rest just betting on course like you didn't I didn't really see many people at all betting with the bookmakers. I mean they've got a really hard time of it just now. Mm. Um and I think it's the situation with banning credit cards now as well. Um I think it's just it's a total knee jerk reaction. It's like are you just gonna are you gonna ban cigarette are you, are you gonna be able not to buy cigarettes with credit card, you're not gonna be able to buy alcohol with um mm. with a credit card. I mean it's similar to the, the Fobty um Fobty situation with, with bookmakers. Um it's pretty short sighted because a lot of people lost their, their jobs through it. Mm. Um and then in in the government obviously lose a lot of tax revenue and like like in I can see both sides to it. In these Fobties people people think they're toxic, right? And people did genuinely have problems with them and it, Obviously, saw some of the video footage. People, people losing it, um, and then again, you got to think about people's livelihood and people losing jobs because of it. Um, just where I am as well. I mean, William Hill. There's four William Hills within a within a two mile radius. They're all they're all gone. Mm. And then, but then again, you could argue is there too many bookmakers? The, the gambling industry is evolving. Um, everything's online now, so maybe it's time for a change. It, it, it's a difficult one, um, but. I think I, I, I fear the worst for on-course bookmakers. Yes, it's, it's, it, I, I do too. I think I think we're moving closer and closer to a, an online world of gambling. And it's funny that you, I've actually read, I can't remember what race course it is, but I've read on some of their terms and conditions that if you get caught betting on the phone, they'll throw you out. But yet the majority of people bet on their phone. So... I mean, it, the whole thing's crazy because, like, it's like, an absolute joke. Like, if, you, if, you, if, you, yeah, if you're if you're a punter, right, and you're you're sitting on your phone, you're sitting on the bet bet exchange, right, and you can see you fancy something at a price, right, as you do. Um, say it's twenty to one with an on-course bookmaker, and it's thirty sixties or thirty eights on betfair, right? I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, if, if you if you have a if you have a an inch of a brain cell, you're going to take you're going to take the bigger price, aren't you? Mm. And it's difficult for on-course bookmakers to operate. And then when you're going back to to your to your obviously argument being being caught on the phone, most bookmakers are taking these bets and they're just laying them off on Betfair straight away. Like the guy the guy's sitting with the on-course bookmaker, he just he's just sitting watching Betfair anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's a difficult one, and and. Eventually, I mean, if things keep going the way they are, I mean, these on-course bookmakers won't be able to operate on-course because they have a lot of costs as well. I don't think people understand how much cost the bookmakers have to pay to actually stand um, on-course. Like, if you go back maybe 20 years ago, I picture Cheltenham, I mean, you'd have people remortgaging their house and selling their house just to have a pitch at a mm. Class A race course, whereas now they're worth nothing. Yeah, It's just the way the world's changed. And... I think a lot of these on-course bookmakers, and I think a lot of them will have to get their own sort of website up and running. Um, I know Jeff Banks I used to work for Jeff. He, he's got his website up and running. 
Um, it's a good website, offers a good service, best odds on course as well. But he's evolved, you know, you can see you see what's happening. Mm. Um, and you see a lot of these mergers as well. It's very difficult for, this, for a small bookmaker just now, especially if they're not online. Yeah, it's, it, it is hard. But, um, yeah, it's just... it's. I just think going back to the the cliche of racing being fixed, and there's always been that relation uh, idea that there's a relationship between the bookmakers and the uh, and like the trainers and the jockeys. That there obviously is because we have our jockey blogs, we have our trainer blogs, we had all the um, controversy recently oh, over on oh, Altior, yeah, uh, yeah, over Nicky Henderson with Altior and that. Um, I People think... are very cynical about all the, all this Christmas. They just assume that mm. everyone knows. I mean, we 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 know owners, we know trainers, and even sometimes they don't know if the, if the horse is ready to win. Yeah. And people are just again going back to perceptions. People just assume oh, if something moved from eight to one into seven to one, or oh, they must have known. They must have known. Mm. I mean, I've known countless trainers who couldn't believe it. Genuinely, when the horses the the horses won, mm. or when they really fancied one, it's finished tailed off. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many times do you hear the old cliche that they show nothing at home, but they show everything at the race course? And it's normally the horses that show a lot at home don't deliver. So, or the old, um, the old, oh, that that's a non-shower. You know, maybe it bled, maybe it's got a wind problem. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult. Um, it's interesting the going back to Dan Skelton as well. I mean, he sort of sort of confided opinion on social media with his, his views on the Altior situation and after I've decided with Dan's guy I mean I, he didn't sit on the fence I think he was very very straight in what he said and I agreed with him completely no I agree I agree with the you there the and racing are completely intertwined and he was saying for example he's built a new I think he said he built a new a part of the part of the New York was actually funded um, by his affiliation with Labbrooks um, and he said like it's a horse in it as well I mean, if people genuinely think that Dan Skelton's marking the car for Labrooks, I mean, they're absolutely deluded. Yeah, I, Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. But I think it's um, time, though, maybe we put our knowledge to the test and try and uh, yeah. beat the bookmakers. We're going to uh, touch upon uh, the Dublin Racing Festival this weekend because uh, yeah. that's where the best action is. There'll be, be some Cheltenham clues on show, I'm sure, probably more than there was last week at the Cheltenham uh a trials uh, meeting. Um, what what caught you your eye, Marcus? Um, anything you really fancy? Um, should we start with maybe one of the bigger races of of the meeting, which is the rematch between Shakam uh, Porsois and Aplutar? Um, I actually really fancy Min actually here. Um, I think he's the best horse in the race. Well, he is on official ratings. He's won this race the last twice. Uh, he's had the same prep as he's had last year. Shakan uh, Porsoir for me, he might have needed the run like um, some people have been saying that about Willie Mullins is have needed the run first time out this year. But the only form we're really going on is when he beat Defi de Soy, who you could argue had a hard season. Uh, Aplutar is a horse that I do like, um, but the ground at Leopardstown, it's drying out. So it won't be as soft as it was at Christmas and that would be a negative for me when it comes to Plutar. So for me, I, I think Min Min is the one that they've all got to beat. Um, did you have any opinions on that race? Just, just uh, to start off with, the, the racing festival, I mean, on its own, 
And if you look at this card, and this this whole meeting, it's an unbelievable card, and all the big guns are out, and there's not been enough publicity about it. I mean, this should be this should be all over social media. This should be getting pushed pushed like crazy. I mean, it's how many grade ones? One, two, three, four, five, seven grade ones. Yeah, Is that right. Six grade ones. I mean, it's just top quality stuff. I mean, and this this should this should come this to me. This competes with Cheltenham. I mean, this this is a better card than one day you get Cheltenham, in my opinion. The quality of horse running here as well. I mean, looking at men, it's very very hard work horse to catch for me. Um, how would you think the ground would be tomorrow? Is well, it good soft or good? Well, it's currently yielding to soft, and it's going to dry out a bit more. It's um, tacky. I mm. I don't think it will be tacky. I think it it won't be quick. It'll just be perfect jumping ground. I think. I think. I think there'll be no excuses on it. Um, the, the, that's why I fancy Min. Um, I really do. I I think he's at Leopardstown. He's a different horse. I heard a stat earlier that if you take him away from Cheltenham, he's won fourteen of his seventeen career starts. It was eleven to four. Robbie Power on board. Certainly, I wouldn't put you off. Um, do you know? I mean, this is sort of race I'm looking at just now. And if, I think if you could lay, you could lay Shotgun Porsois at six to four. I yeah. think that would probably be the bet because you'd have men, a plus card. You'd have Willie Mullins, other fancy runner, Silas Henry. Um, you got a couple of rags in the race as well. I mean, that's that's the route I'd probably take. I'll probably just take on uh, Shotgun Porsois at the price. Cause I, I think we should probably be closer in the bearing and men should be shorter. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably just take on the favourite to start with in that race. No. Um, again, it's a, it's a top quality card. I mean, even if you're looking at the the Oracle, I mean, Henry de Bromhead, I mean, he, he could bang on a few winners as well tomorrow. Yeah. Um, he's got a notebook up against just, just O'Brien's Fricker du I mean, if that... Do you think that's a match bet, or do you, do you, do you fancy any other Williams horses in the race? Um, Melon as well. Melon's a price eight to one. It's that race is not a betting race for me. Um, I'm it's wide open. I, you know me. I like to bet in most races, but I can't really have a bet. I have had a bet on cashback for the for the Cheltenham Markle um, after he won last time out. I think I'm on him at fourteen to one. So I'll be watching yeah. him. Uh, I think it's quite wide open. I I do like cashback, but I I'm. I'm, I just I just think it's a tough race um, to, to, to get stuck into tomorrow. Um, every race is just so competitive because a lot of people, again, just go to perception. A lot of people have the perception of the Irish racing. It's like even money or six to four shot goes off in front. Next five lengths at the start, the second favorite chicken home. I mean, it's, I mean this, this is top quality stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, you're looking at the Irish champion hurdle, honeysuckle. Then how good is she? I mean, Sharjah as well. Classical dream, Puto Mushwa. You know, Super Sunday, a horse that we fancy as well at Cheltenham. I mean, this is top quality. Hmm. Um, who do you fancy the, the Irish champion? Well, um, in my piece with racing tips, I've actually put up Sharjah, um, okay. honeysuckle. Um, I can see why. Yeah, I can see why she's favourite, but 
for me, I think she's more effective over two and a half miles. I don't think you she's... Think, you think they'll, they'll try and run the race to get a beat? think Willie Mongo, uh maybe... Obviously, Armand's going to try and make the run. He's, he's actually got a couple. He's got Sagwa Wiles. Well, do you think he'll try and he'll try and make it as practical as possible? I think so. I think so. Sharjah's yeah. Char- a horse that likes to be brought into the race, and I am on Sharjah at thirty-three to one for the champion hurdle, and he's a nice price now. So if he wins tomorrow, uh, I'll be really happy. But I'm with him tomorrow. Um, I'm with Sharjah. Uh, Patrick Mullins. Is a... Jockey booking. You okay with that? Yeah, brilliant. Because um, if you actually look at Patrick Mullins, I think he's one. He's such a good jockey. Forget him riding in bumpers for Willie. When he when 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 he's booked, he's got a very good strike rate. And on Sharjah, he's got a very good record. He's two from two at Leopardstown and Grade Ones on Sharjah. So. He's got a perfect record. Um, the way he won last time was was good. The drying out ground will help him as well. He 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 wouldn't want it too soft, but that's it's not going to be that tomorrow. So that's no issue. Um, and he's just got he's just got a turn of gear that I think maybe Honeysuckle lacks. I I think Honeysuckle is a grinder. She she grinds her opposition, whereas I think this this. This two miles, a little bit of more speed is going to come into this, and I'm not really one for time figures because, to me, a lot of races they're always going to be run differently the way that they're tactically done. You don't often see the same race run tactically, and I'm not really one for time figures. But even the time figure people have said that Honeysuckle hasn't really clocked a good time yet, and I don't like I say. Even though she did win the Grade One last time and beat the boys, um, I don't think that opposition was up to much. Even though she is I very, it's a visual. She could visually, people are being sort of sucked into it because um, because she's winning on the bridle. Mm. People get a bit excited. You know, she reminds me of uh, Don Glib, oh, okay. Irish horse Philip Fernan had um, in 2010-2009. He's just a horse. We had a lot of, a lot of injuries late on. Uh, it was never the same horse when he came back. Won the champion bumper at Cheltenham. Reminds me of the way that he cruises up on the bridle. Um, I think I think tomorrow will have a lot of implications on the, the Cheltenham betting, especially mm. Honeysuckle. Mm. Um, because it, if Honeysuckle wins tomorrow, you know I'm with Honeysuckle, so I'll be against you on this one. I think I think she's she's really really smart. Um, I think if she wins tomorrow, I think she's going to come in drastically. I think she'll be well odds on for the Cheltenham race if she holds it up tomorrow. Which one, the mares or the champion? Because she... I think it's all about what Willie Nolan does as well. Benny does, I, think, I, think, I think Benny's going to go for the mares, Honeysuckle for the champion. That's a lot of play. Um, yeah, I agree with you. But if yeah, if Honeysuckle does go for the champion, she won't quite be odds on because you've got the likes of Epitome in there still um, that we yeah. haven't seen. Uh, and even though I think she's going to be smart, I think she's. I think this is a really, really smart mare. Okay, well, we'll, we'll hold you to it. I, I would be laying her tomorrow in a double with. If you oh. could do a double lay with Lorena, but we won't touch upon Lorena. Um, give me two to one, Chris. Honeysuckle. Yeah, go on then. We'll do. That's uh, <laughs> two that, to one. Yeah, two two to one on uh, Honeysuckle. I'll give you that. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the feature race of the day tomorrow. Um, I just want to talk about, before we wrap up, uh, the feature race on the Sunday, um, which is the Irish Gold Cup. Um, and that's going to be... It looks like a match on paper between uh, Kenboy and Delta Work. Obviously, Delta Work came out on top last time to win the Savills Chase in... Um, in quite nice style, um, boosting the RSA form from last year, which looks pretty good with Santini, uh, obviously winning last week. Um, thoughts on this? Do you think Kenboy is going to reverse the form of Delta Work, or you would maybe present in Percy or Chris's dream? Um, who, who do you fancy? Percy's been a funny horse this season, Chris. I mean, there's a lot of hype, obviously, for the uh, for the Gold Cup, you know. Disappointing. Um, I don't. I don't think the horse has regained its form since last season. Um, but and, you know, if President Percy does the business tomorrow, I mean, it could put, put him in the reckoning for the, the Cheltenham Gold Cup again. Because I know David Russell was very, very sweet on this horse last season. Um, but I think it has to be with Ken Boy. I mean, it's a classy, classy sort. Um, it's got a form in the book, so that's the one that I'd be with in that race. Yeah, I, I think the drawn out ground will help his cause. He's got a good record um, at Leopardstown. William Islands has actually got a very good record in this race. So one I would throw in there, and I said that, like I said, there is actually going to be rain on the Sunday. And if that rain did come, it would help Chris's dream, which obviously appeals to me because obviously the horse is not named after me, but shares my name. Um, was a really good winner of the Troy Town, which is a really decent stay in handicap. Um, at uh, Navin, and he beat a horse in there called Fitzhenry easily on the bridle, uh, giving him nearly a stone in weight, beaten by 10 lengths. That Fitzhenry ran a cracking race in the Paddy Power Chase to be denied by a Rarin burner, as Jerry Hannon <laughs> said. Um, and uh, yeah, I Henry de Bromhead said that as soon as that race was done, this was the target. And I just think if if you were going for a horse that's unexposed, he could offer a little bit. Presenting presenting Percy, I couldn't touch with a barge pole. I just think he's not gone. He's completely gone off the boil ever ever since really he won the RSA. Yes, I know he won the Galmoy hurdle last year, but that really didn't amount to much. They gave him a really odd campaign. And I just think he's gotten, he just hasn't got that confidence anymore um, that he did before. And for me, I think you're a brave man getting stuck into presenting Percy. I know he's got a popular fan club and he was a good horse a couple of years ago, but Patrick Kelly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going crazy on him, is what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. saying, could you be a horse that he run? If he runs a place tomorrow, would you would you consider him at Cheltenham? No. Would you would you have, would you have a look? Or do you think he's, he's done? Uh, I would. Uh, if he makes a frame. He for me, he would have to win, and he he has to win because I I put a little tweet up the other day about my shortlist and the ones I'm against for the Gold Cup, and you have. To the, the recent trends for the Gold Cup suggest you have to have won on your last start and you have had to have the fresher campaign. You look at the likes of Al Boom Photo. He had one run before he won that Gold Cup last year. You go back to Native River the year before. He came in, he ran at Newbury, 
and then he went and won the Gold Cup. It's a horse that it, it takes a horse that has done hardly any races, just had one or two, won their race because I just think nowadays the Gold Cup is the defining moment in a horse's in a horse's career. And I think the likes of horses such as Clander's Oboe, Album Photo, these horses, Santini probably now, these horses that we haven't really seen that many times this season, they're going straight for the Gold Cup and they're the ones you're going to be wanting to follow. I I think... Were you, were you impressed with Santini at the weekend? Because, I mean, I was on um, I was on Bristol, Bristol for my... Um, I think, I think Daryl gave the horse every chance. And it actually came back as well. Um, but Santini found more. I mean, I was, I was impressed with the way Santini jumped. Because I know we spoke to Megan and that was sort of seen as a negative. But, I mean, I, I was impressed. Um, obviously, it was a smallish field, but I mean, a, big, a bigger field with Cheltenham going, going at a faster pace. Um, maybe there's more chance of a mistake. I mean, if he jumps like that, I mean, he looked like a proper stare. I mean, he looked like he, he loved it, you know? Yeah, he... I mean, he, he's, in, he's, he's in each way price for me. I mean, he's probably one, probably the one you want to be on each way at the moment. Yeah, well, with the Gold Cup, I think I'm going to wait for the day with the ground and also as well injury news. It's it's just such a competitive race at the moment. Um, If the ground came up good, I probably would like um, Clander's Oboe. But if it was a bog or the ground was very testing, like it was the other day, Santini would definitely be on my shortlist for the Gold Cup. Um, But at the moment... I can't. I I don't think we're gonna see the winner of the Gold Cup on Sunday. That's my prediction. Maybe against Ken Boylan. Ken Boylan presented perfect place lease for Mister Lauder. Yeah, yeah. They might might be able to make the frame, but I don't see him winning. Um. So yeah. So for me, yeah, I I probably would say Chris's dream in the Irish Gold Cup, and if I had to, if I had to like. Go one at the head of the market. I probably would say Kenboy to reverse the form, but um, not really a strong, strong selection for that particular race. So um, that's all we've got time for this week, Marcus. Um, thank you for joining us, and um, we're going to be back next week when hopefully we might potentially have Megan O'Brien, and also as well we will have a special guest. I won't give um, who it is away yet, uh, but they're um, they're in the uh, Twitter community. And uh, they'll have a lot to say about the subject we want to talk about. So, um, so yeah, so we're looking forward to recording that next week. And uh, hopefully uh, we can have some winners this weekend. So if you haven't done so already, uh, please um, subscribe to our um, uh, channel here on our uh, Podbean account and also as well as SoundCloud. And also as well, follow us on Twitter at In The Saddle Pod.